Welcome into Tapping Vegas, everybody. We had another excellent week. Went up another two units. That's 35 and a half units since we started this show. That's over five episodes, which is absolutely crazy. I did see we got one dislike on last week's video, Bobby. And, you know, I, I do apologize for that bruise on your chin. Sometimes those balls just slap it too hard. Um, but welcome in, everybody. We had another great week. We're going to have another great week this week. Bobby, how are you feeling, man? Feeling good. Was not aware that we had one dislike. I mean, hey, you're welcome to your opinion, uh, no matter how wrong it may be. Maybe some people were salty that I picked Walker by KO. Hey, I lost money just like you did. I'm just as disappointed, but I own up to it. I own up to when I'm wrong, and I damn sure own up to when I'm right. And so far, we're still profitable. I went two and two. Ben went three and one. You still got money elsewhere. I don't see anybody complaining on the plus 110, I believe it was, for Bruno Ferreira by KO over Phil Halls. So you got to take your wins and you got to take your losses. As uh, Coach Cavanaugh says, you either win or you learn. You got to learn that sometimes Johnny Walker is just that cartoon character, and I won't be putting any more money on him anymore as a result. So, Absolutely, Bobby. You know, it, anybody that wants to talk bad about winning money, there's the door. There's a door. We're, we're only here to win. Uh, do you want to get right. this first fight broke down? Yeah, for sure. There's plenty of other mediocre MMA content out there. We <laughs> ain't that. So here we go. So first fight we're going to be going over, Charles Jordan versus Sean Woodson. So this is a fight I'm pretty excited for, and I like the odds on. Sean Woodson is a guy who's 10-1-1 right now. Got some pretty good momentum. He's a Dana White's contender series guy. Had a pretty impressive finish on the show by flying knee round two knockout to secure his contract in the UFC. Sean Woodson did. Uh, pretty good fight with Kyle Bochniak. Uh, Kyle Bochniak, if you guys remember, if you've been watching the UFC for a little bit, not trying to be a hater, but the guy was honestly not, you know, maybe UFC material, which is why he got cut, but he always put on entertaining fights always would fight up-and-coming guys like Sean Woodson, Zabit Magomed Sharapov, gave him hard fights. So it's pretty impressive that Sean got a unanimous decision win over him. Uh, split decision win for Sean over Yusuf Zalal. That's pretty impressive. Yusuf Zalal was a pretty big guy in the division. Coming up, trying to make a name for himself, for Sean to secure a victory over him's good. Uh, hook to the body win over Colin Angland. And then this is the one that's most recent from August of last year. Sean Woodson beat Dennis Bazuka by unanimous decision. I really like that win because Dennis is uh, trains with Aljamain Sterling, Aliyah Quinta, uh, Matt Sarah, all those guys out of that gym in New York and everything. Uh, you know, pretty highly touted guy coming into the UFC. And Sean, you know, showed him, hey, I've uh, been in for about four fights now. This is my turf. You're going to have to earn your spot. So I was pretty impressed by Sean being able to get a pretty secure victory over Dennis, who was trying to prove a lot. Uh, Charles Jordan. I'm going to be honest. Charles Jordan has been around what feels like forever now. He's kind of been a staple of those fight night cards where you're just really desperate for a body to throw on there with a little bit of relevance. That's kind of Charles Jordan. Once again, I'm just calling it. This, these are my opinions. You can like them. I don't care if you do or don't. They're my opinions. I'm not going to change them. Charles Jordan is kind of like, I really want a T-bone steak for dinner, but I can't afford it, so I'm going to have a cheeseburger. 
yeah, cheeseburger's good, but it ain't a damn T-bone steak. So I'll watch a Charles Jordan fight, but I'm not really too excited. I watched a video doing my research on him where it was uh, something titled about how crazy his finishes were, and the majority of the video was before he got in the UFC. And that signifies to me he's one of those guys that for whatever reason – Maybe the competition's a little tougher. Maybe the competition's used to taking shots. I don't know. But his finishing power that he had on the regional scene doesn't really translate to the UFC. So I'm not really impressed by Charles Jourdain. He's had a lot of fights. He's been around the UFC now since 2019. So not forever, but long enough to like, I say this a lot, and I'm going to keep saying it because it's how I feel and what I believe. I think we've seen what Charles Jourdain is. I think he's been around long enough. This is who he is. These are the people he's lost to. I haven't seen anything new or interesting or unique in his game to kind of really separate him from the pack. Sean Woodson's still young enough with this being his fifth UFC fight. I could still see him evolving. I could still him showing off new facets to his game and incorporating new elements. So, as a result, I'm just not really high on Charles Jourdain. Um, He's not really been a guy to really impress me, to really do much for me, other than just, like I said, be a body that if you need somebody to uh, fill in on a Canadian fight night card or a pay-per-view like we have this weekend, he's a Canadian guy. He'll step up and he'll fight. So, he's he definitely has a place in the UFC in that regard. But as far as being better than Sean Woodson on this particular night, I'm going to say no. And especially with the odds how they are now, courtesy of DraftKings. We got Charles Jourdain as a pretty heavy favorite at a minus 218. Sean Woodson's at a plus 180. feel like that should be a lot closer. I think what they're giving the advantage to Jourdain is Jourdain does have the UFC fighting experience edge, the overall fighting experience edge. I get that. I understand that, and I respect it. But I think the overall talent and potential for upset is there with Sean Woodson. This is probably going to be a fight that's going to start standing. Uh, Neither guy really grapples too much. Uh, Jordan does have finishes by submission on his record. But he has also been – let me see if he's also been finished by sub. So he hasn't been finished by sub that I can see in the UFC – But all this to say, basically, I'm putting my money on Sean Woodson. I think the fight's going to stay standing. I don't think it's going to be very grappling heavy. Both guys are going to start off on the feet like every every fight does. I don't see them taking it to the ground for any reason. It's either going to go to the decision or somebody's going to get knocked out. I don't really think anybody's going to get knocked out. Neither guy really has a huge amount of, uh, excuse me, knockout wins on their resume especially in the UFC. As I said with Charles Jordan, it just really hasn't translated. And same for Sean Woodson. He's only had one finish by punches since he's been in the UFC. So I'm thinking it's going to go to decision. I think Sean Woodson, since it's going to be a a primarily striking affair, he's going to have a pretty big uh, reach advantage. He's 6'2", 78-inch reach. That's pretty big over a 5'9", Charles Jourdain with a 69-inch reach. It's going to be hard for him to overcome that. Sean Woodson's a very talented boxer. Uh, Golden Gloves guy for Missouri, I do believe, uh, caliber boxer. So, yeah, I definitely love Sean Woodson, especially at a plus 180 odds for this. 
and I'm going to go with decision and that's pretty good payout for decision uh, at plus 250 also. So yeah, Sean Woodson plus 250 by decision is a very good bet. And then if you just want to take the money line, I really can't argue with the plus 180 money line. That's good money value to me. What about you, Ben? We can't forget that there could be some home cooking that you like to talk about. This is in Canada and Charles Jordan is one of those Canadian men. I, I did forget. This is this is true. I will say that. It's something that I primarily think about a lot with European fighters yeah. in Europe, especially British fighters in London. I'm not really right off the top of my head too sure about how the Canadians are, if they have that same level of patriotism, but that is true, actually. I did not take that into consideration. Looking at this fight, though, um, Bobby, we actually see pretty close to eye-to-eye on this. Uh, Charles Jordan, when I was watching him, I, I wrote down he's a spider monkey fighter. Dude is just crazy all over the place. He's got some serious KO power, but is over-aggressive. Like, he will run in, which really worries me. Um, he looks for the K over the sub. I think that you and me can both agree that this fight is not going to end for a sub from either guy. That is just Vegas taking your money. If you try to place it on either of them, um, he wants to ground and pound if he can, uh, strong Sean Woodson though, long limbs, dude, I believe is six, three pro boxer, shamrock fighter. So he came up through a, a pretty good feeder program wants to stick to his, his boxing style. He doesn't really want to take it to the ground. Um, a huge reach advantage. We got to talk about that too. It's a nine inch reach advantage. Yeah, that's devastating. That is insane. And for a, a boxer arm length and stuff is not as big. It, it doesn't matter as much if it's two wrestling guys. I mean, it clearly right. helps, but when you have this really tall, lanky boxer and the way Charles Jordan gets so kind of sloppy and out of position, I I wouldn't hate uh, Woodson KO at plus 700. I mean, yeah, you make a very good point about him running in. That's yeah. probably when you... So you have to definitely close the distance on somebody with that big yeah. of a reach advantage and a height advantage over you. Can't let them tee but off. you can't just run in because if you run in, that is the worst thing you can do because then you're just going to get countered, especially by a guy who has boxing as good as Woodson's. You're just setting yourself up to run on the punches and run on the punches, and that's a terrible way to try to close the distance. Absolutely it is. Absolutely it is, man. Um my my last thing that I noticed too from doing some research about these guys too, Bobby, is about how numbers can lie. So the people have already seen it, but I thought you would get a kick out of this. The striking across the board advantage goes to Jordan, and the wrestling advantage across the board goes to Woodson. Yeah, that's funny because I mean, once again, this is all off the top of my head. I've watched quite a bit of Sean Woodson fights, and I'm trying to remember. I think now that I think about it, unless this is like a Mandela effect or something, I do remember <laughs> him either defending a takedown or maybe he like kind of half-assed tried one just for funds up against the cage type thing. I think the last but yeah, it's nothing. Yeah, it's nothing statistically significant though. I think, uh, and I could be wrong. Everybody saw it. Whatever you guys saw on the side, that's the correct. But I believe it's like eighty percent accuracy for the takedown and defense. Like it was something yeah. that really surprised me because you would think that those that script would be flipped for those two, right? 
Yeah, you're right, though. It's definitely probably a case of numbers being uh, a little bit misleading because that's probably impressive, yeah, if you have, like, I don't know, two takedown attempts in your whole career or something and you secure – you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like how many does he have? Uh, how many has he defended? Because I right. don't even know if there's a system that keeps track of takedowns that you've defended. I know if there's right. one that keeps track of what you've attempted, but I don't think there's one at all that takes into account defense because that's not – uh, a judging criteria. Right. Yeah. You don't see that anywhere. You just see takedown attempts. Right. So I'm now wondering how do they even determine their takedown defense percentage? Since that's like, you never see unless, well, I think they have started recently. They'll show the audience uh, mm -hmm. how many takedowns the person's defended. But once again, I'm pretty sure the judges don't see that just like the significant strikes and all that, that we see at home. Mm -hmm. The judges have no idea who, through more significant strikes uh, at the end of every fight, which is bizarre to me that the fans sitting on the couch have access to judging criteria that the judges themselves <laughs> deciding the fight don't have access to. They got to pass the eye test. That's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't even do that when it comes to steroids. So <laughs> <laughs> you ready for me to take this next one? Yeah, go ahead. All right, so we got Brad Katona versus Garrett Armfield, another Missouri guy. Um, I don't have a ton on this fight. I'm going to be honest. It looks like Brad, he can take damage. Like, I was seeing him just eat punches. Uh, his feet never stop, which I really did like to see that. But, boy, does he swing wide, dude. Dude swings wide. Like, I, I know like there's a wind-up. Dude's coming from left field on some of these punches, which really made me nervous watching that. Uh, Garrett keeps his hands up. I really like that. Not going to get a, a whole bunch to the chin. Good forward pressure. Worked up from Shamrock, just like Woodson. So I, we know he came from a good feeder program. Works the subs pretty slow. He's got good balance. Man, it's another plus 180, and I like Garrett, but something tells me that this is where the Canadians get their win, and it's a decision. I think Katona's just going to be able to eat enough of Armfield's damage. I don't think Armfield's going to get into many sub opportunities. I think this is going to be kind of a, a hang and bang type fight. What do you think? Yeah, this is another fight that going over the information, doing my research, I'm more excited for it now than I initially was. So Brad Katona, this is his second run in the UFC. Uh, if you watch the Ultimate Fighter back in 2018 when it was Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic, he was on that season with Bryce Mitchell. Actually gave Bryce Mitchell his first loss by a rear naked choke in round three when him and Bryce faced off uh, on the show against each other. And then from there, I really feel like he got kind of a tough uh, – kind of a tough uh, tough stick or whatever, I guess, in his UFC career because he had so much promise on the Ultimate Fighter. One fight in the UFC that he won, he won his debut by unanimous decision, but then he lost two in a row by decision and then was cut. And it was a very bizarre thing to cut him after at least winning his debut and how impressive he was on the Ultimate Fighter and to cut him after two pretty tough losses, it's not like he got completely outclassed in either fight. And also, one of those losses has aged pretty damn well since then because his first loss was to Marab Divishvili. And Marab Divishvili is widely considered right now the next guy in line 
after Sean fights Cheeto to challenge for the bantamweight belt. So that's a very uh, well-aged loss, and it was his first loss, actually, in his whole uh, pro career. So not a bad person for that to come to. Uh, Hunter Azure, that was a bad one because Azure later got cut himself from the UFC. So that's kind of disappointing, but I mean, you know, Brad got cut, made his way to Brave, made his way back up from Brave to the last episode of The Ultimate Fighter that came out last year with McGregor and Chandler coaching, won his fights, uh, won The Ultimate Fighter again. I'm now remembering he's won two seasons of The Ultimate Fighter now, Brad Katona has. So that in and of itself, pretty big uh, accomplishment, and I'll be honest and say he is a deci- he's a decision machine. Instead yes. of a terminator, he is a de- decisionator <laughs> and uh, a lot of wins by decision. And Garrett Armfield, I haven't really been impressed by what I've seen from Garrett Armfield so far. His UFC debut, he lost during an arm triangle choke from David Onama. Uh, I'm not really too sure about David Onama. It's not really somebody that if you lose to, I'm uh exactly too excited about you uh, anymore type thing, even though he's kind of had a little uh, run that he's went on recently with a pretty impressive punch last time Onama fought. But anyway, considering Garrett Armfield, he did win his last fight. That was August last year by a straight right in the first round. But it's against a guy that I've never even heard of that I'm looking up now to see if he's even still in the UFC, Toshimo Kazama. And Kazama is probably not going to be in the UFC much longer. He's never won a fight in the UFC. He's had two fights, lost round one to strikes in both fights. And I see no information about an upcoming fight for him. So I'm going to say he's probably not in the UFC much longer if he's not already cut. So all this to say, long story short, as one of my coworkers would say, shout out if you're out there, buddy, protect your identity. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Brad Katona at minus 218, Garrett Armfield plus 180. I like Brad Katona, uh, even though he's a heavy favorite. Yeah. I think he gets it done. I think he's got the experience edge. I think he's a pretty decent grappler, which is why he has so many decisions is because he's just really kind of that definition of a boring grappler that just kind of relies on control time and being a wet blanket, but it gets the job done. But I am going to be a little ballsy and say since – Armfield's already had an arm triangle loss. I think if the sub is there, Katona will take it, especially since this is his second time in the UFC. He realizes what's at stake, realizes he might not get a third. He maybe tries to come out and be impressive since I believe this is his first fight since the Contender Series last year. So he's kind of got a chip on his shoulder, something to prove. I like him at plus 350 by submission. He does have the skill to do it, And he definitely did it to Bryce Mitchell, who is a very impressive grappler in his own right, very impressive submission artist in his own right. And he was able to make uh, Bryce on the Ultimate Fighter look very incompetent on the ground. He's got the capability. He's going to wrestle no matter what. That's his route to victory because it's been mentioned. It it sure isn't striking. So I'm going to say with a guy like Armfield that maybe is a little weak in that area of grappling and submission defense and has already been subbed in the UFC, that plus 350 for Katona by subs looking really tantalizing right now. Sub for the decisionator? I know. It's a bold one, but 
That's why you tune into this show and not those other patty cake MMA bettings that give you generic advice like, oh, I think he's going to win just because he's the favorite. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, come on now. Uh, anybody can say the favorite's going to win. At least get a little get a little pizzazz in there with it. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. You take this next fight away. All right, so the next fight we have coming up, it's going to be another exciting fight. We have Arnold Allen versus Movzar Ivalev. So this is probably my second most anticipated fight on the whole entire card, up and down, main and prelims. Arnold Allen, very impressive guy in a 145-pound division, so is Movzar. My biggest thing, I saw a statistic when I was doing research on this fight, and I want to say it had Arnold Allen with an 80% takedown defense, 70 to 80% takedown defense, and Movzar Ivalev at a 50% takedown accuracy. So 50% of the shots Ivalev's taking, he only converts on half of those shots out of that uh, full 100%, which got me to thinking that I know the statistics – as we just mentioned, can be a little bit misleading, but I did notice Movzar really is that definition of a guy who will just shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. And it doesn't matter if you defend the first one, the second one, the third one, eventually he'll get you even if it takes six, seven, eight. So that's probably a big reason why his accuracy is only at 50% because yeah, he's, he's fully incorporating it into his game that he knows that it might take a while, but eventually you're going to do something to make a mistake, be out of position, whatever, and he will get you down and then he's going to win by decision. But it kind of had me a little optimistic because Arnold Allen's submission defense, excuse me, his takedown defense has held up really well in a very particular example that I think could hold a key to this fight. And that is his fight against Mads Burnell. And Mads Brunel is a guy is very high on until he also unfortunately got caught, uh, excuse me, cut from the UFC and some kind of questionable circumstances like uh, Brad Katona did. But in that fight, Arnold Allen was kind of losing the grappling exchanges with Mads Brunel. And Mads Brunel was being the superior grappler, but it still was a situation where Mads was just shooting and shooting and shooting. And eventually he made a mistake and Arnold Allen caught him in a sub. So that was pretty impressive to me that Arnold Allen not really being a very strong grappler as a British guy where they don't really have wrestling like we do in America from a young age and things of that nature was able to kind of withstand and still have uh, the determination, the grit late in the fight to recognize an opportunity like that for Mads Brunel making such a small mistake and snatch up a, a fight-winning sub because he was on his way to a unanimous decision loss until he locked up that sub. So that really impressed me that he was able to get that against the superior grappler. And, I mean, that's pretty much how Movzar is. The guy has – we talk about him, and I, I was kind of surprised doing my research because I thought he would have a lot more submissions or, you know, strikes, any type of finish on his record because of how we talk about him. And a lot of the mystique is just around the fact that he's undefeated, which don't get me wrong, that is a big accomplishment to be undefeated in professional MMA, but he's another decision machine. Uh, looking over his record, he's never won in the UFC by anything other than a decision. 
So, you know, that's because his whole game is based around what we said. He's not really trying to strike with you. He's going to keep shooting, keep shooting, keep shooting, but then he's not really going to work for position. He's not really going to try to look for a sub. He's just going to win by control time. And it is impressive that he is able to basically so neutralize somebody that he can just ride out a, an easy win just by getting somebody on the mat and everything. But at the same time, that just doesn't give me much confidence when he's going up against somebody like Arnold Allen as opposed to other people he's done this to, like Mike Grundy. There's a big difference between Arnold Allen and Mike Grundy. There's a big difference between Arnold Allen and Nick Lentz. I was impressed he was able to do it to Diego Lopez. That's one of his most impressive victories that Movzar has on his record because I'm pretty high on Diego Lopez and his credentials and what he's accomplished. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something a little controversial and go against the grain here. And at the value that I'm getting from Arnold Allen versus Movzar Ivalev, I like Arnold Allen at the plus 160. Movzar is the minus 192. And I just feel like a lot of that, as I've said, is based off the fact Movzar is undefeated. He's got a lot of hype and everything. And don't get me wrong, I'm probably going to end up regretting this. But I just don't want to go with a guy who's a heavy favorite in such a close fight like this where I feel like the odds should be a little bit closer. As talented as Arnold Allen is and the victories he has over the guys he has – and, you know, already having demonstrated he's perfectly capable of it. I just like Arnold Allen. Now, the question is, do I really swing for the fences or do I play it safe with the prop bet? Because if I pick him by decision, which I could see easily happening, that's a plus 330. But if I go for him by the sub, that's plus 1,000. Once again, I'm not saying that this is stone cold facts going to happen, but... If I'm just, you know, got money to burn or whatever, why not put plus 1,000 on Arnold Allen by sub? I know I'm probably going to get a basement alert, basement alert, you know, everybody. <laughs> oh, my God, you're an idiot. How are you doing it? Why not? Why not take a risk and put down a little bit of money on Arnold Allen by sub and Movzar doing takedown after takedown after takedown? Okay, maybe Arnold Allen loses the first round. Maybe he loses the second round. He – didn't get the sub against Mads Brunel until the third. And if you lose, you basically barely lost anything because he's already the underdog. So, yeah, why not? I'm just going to swing for the fences. Arnold Allen by sub at plus 1,000. And even if you just take the money line, pretty good money line return on that. You can't go wrong. That's that's an excellent point, Bobby. That's an excellent point. If you're going to already go on the underdog, why not go all in? Um Kids, I want to tell you when a hang and bang and a lay and pray love each other very much and they get together, they have a Arnold Allen versus a Evlov. I mean, 100%. come on, dude. Yeah. Allen, he's coming off a loss. He's four and one where Evlov, five and oh. Um, Allen, he's a sub seeker. He'll hang and bang. Tough dude, uses all of his lips. I mean, he'll hit you with both legs, both fists. He doesn't care. Um, he's an equal opportunity striker, good offensive and defensive pressure, which is something that we don't see often. Like you're either coming forward and you're really good. And then you, you know, they start coming at you and then you kind of freak out a little bit. You get backed against the wall. Uh, this guy can do both. He can do both. I was very impressed with that. Great gas tank too. I thought, 
I was very, very impressed with this gas tank. Evlov looked for takedowns is the first thing I wrote on here because that's exactly this dude, man. He's just diving at your legs trying to take you down. Uh, And then he wants to get on top of you. The the problem with Evlov, which I think is why he is undefeated and he's done so well, is just if he gets on your legs, that forward pressure is crazy. He just tries to push you through the cage. Like he tries yeah, to break you like up. cheese. He does not. And as you're at short range punching, so even though you're gonna you're gonna get some shots in, the dude's on you, man, and it's gonna be really hard to get out. He doesn't want to stay standing. This dude does not if he tries to stand and fight Allen, dudes dudes get knocked out possibly. Like I don't oh, think I don't think he wants any part of that. So I think he's gonna be shooting early and often. Patient and mount is also something that I found. Once he gets on top of you, it's the the staple lay and pray. He'll just look for something, look for something, look for something. If something's not there, oh, we'll just hang out until we find something. Like he's yeah. not gonna he's not gonna rush anything. He's not gonna force anything. He's just fine sitting on top of you, throwing in uh, some hooks, and just going to town trying to find whatever he can. Decision heavy. De- yeah. Once again. Our second decisionator of the day. I have Evlov. Um, to get it down from 192, I'm going to take the decision, minus 150. It's just because I think that's exactly what this is going to be. Uh, he's a t- one of the tough Russian dudes. Uh, not a Dagestani, not one of those guys, but tough Russian guy that I think he's just going to go in. And I think Allen is Allen's going to be the people's champion. Allen's going to be the one that is more entertaining that we enjoy and we want to see. If if I'm wrong on this one, I would be very happy. But I just think that Evlavi's just going to pressure him, get him down, and just ride him and be content just getting out of there on points. And it's going to be, unfortunately, like like I'm with you, this is my second favorite fight of the night, and Evlov's going to ruin it. Yeah, I did not know that decision was actually at a plus for him. I mean, it doesn't change anything. I've already wrote the article. I'm not going to change the article. Or no, he's, so like I, I might have spoke other... wrong. I might have spoke wrong. He's minus 150. Oh, okay. I was like, wow, that's actually a really good value, and that's incredible. <laughs> I would love yeah. that, actually. That's, <laughs> that's good. But, uh, but, yeah, I'm not going to change anything regardless, even if it was yeah. a plus a plus line. Uh, I stand by my decisions, good, bad, ugly, whatever. That's called integrity, something your other content creators don't have. <laughs> anyway, but, uh, yeah, so you're, you're probably right. And don't get me wrong. There, there's a time and a place for Ivlov's style of fighting, and we've seen it with guys like Khabib who just take down, take down, take down. And there, I, I do respect, like I said, the grit to chase takedown after takedown right. after getting stuffed, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it doesn't exactly make for, you know, entertaining fights. And how many times have we seen this play out? This classical striker versus grappler. I don't have hard numbers in front of me, but the grappler is going to come out. Let's just say that. The grappler wins the majority of the time. I just like for this particular fight to have a little bit of hope. uh, And like (laughs) I said, to give you something a little different and give you something a little exciting out of the ordinary that your other content creators aren't going to, that you only get from this show from Ben and I. So, you know, why not? If you're, if you're really dead set on Arnold Allen, kind of like how I am, you're, you're barely losing money with odds that ridiculous on that guy. And yeah, he's coming off the max Holloway loss, but 
that's Max Holloway. He's mm-hmm. like the second best 145er in the whole division. You know, right. no shame in losing to him. No, no. I, I mean, this is a tough fight. I, I think the UFC actually did do pretty good putting these two together. Like, I had a hard time picking. And the odds being this far apart, I think is crazy. Yeah, this is one of those examples of really good matchmaking for this division, for sure. Bobby, this next fight, uh, we actually talked about one of these fighters in last week's episode, but that's Chris Curtis versus Mark andre Barreau. And this is my knuck if you buck fight of the night. Which means these two dudes are going to be hanging and banging the whole time. There are no shots. Don't put a dime on submission. This is going to be knockout or decision only. Um, Chris Curtis, accurate striker, but he's very one-dimensional. He just All he wants to do is strike. Uh, open to counters is also something that I saw that makes me nervous. He leaves these windows open for way too long. Looking at Mark Andre, man, he could eat punishment. Absolutely, he can eat a whole mouthful of it. But he's open to counters. He does the same same uh, same mistakes that Chris Curtis does, and his offense and defense are the same thing because his defense is his offense. The dude does not have any defense. He just runs in at you, throwing punches, and then eating punches is his whole thing. And I'm I'm kind of thinking of the mind that Chris Curtis is going to be smart enough. Mark Andre, they're really going to want him to win. Um, I believe he's also Canadian. Uh, but I think Curtis gets a knockout here. I really do. Um, neither one of them are super impressed. So I think they both have their faults. Both have things that they do well. Um, I'm just, I'm not convinced that Mark Andre can get it done. But Chris Curtis hasn't super impressed me either. But I'm going knockout. What do you think? Yeah, we're definitely in agreement on this. Uh, fun facts about Chris Curtis. He's the teammate of Sean Strickland, who will be in the main event. They're teammates and good buddies. And he's also retired from MMA three times. So <laughs> he's had three different periods of retirement from MMA. I know there's the meme about MMA retirement means nothing. It really doesn't to this guy. I've never heard of somebody retiring on three separate occasions and coming back. I've heard of like two here, two there, et cetera, like BJ Penn, for example. But yeah, three retirements and the dude's only in like his early 30s is a bit wild. Yeah, you pretty much hit the nail on the head with this one. I like Chris Curtis's striking. Uh, when he came back to the Contender Series and won but didn't get a contract in 2018 was when I first watched him live on that episode of the Contender Series. And I just really liked his boxing. I tried to emulate some of it myself, actually, when I was training that year. I just liked kind of the shoulder roll that he was doing, like that little uh, – I hate calling it the Philly shell because that's some made-up video game crap that's not even a real term, but that's what everybody calls it. Anyway – that and just like how crispy was and his one twos and his combinations are really nice and good fundamentals. So yeah, he's a good dude. And I uh, was incorporating some of that into my own training. And that's kind of something that has been stated. It's pretty much his main path to victory. Every, every time is you know, standing and trying to use that boxing, which he does have quite an advantage in. So yeah, there's not much I can disagree with. So to kind of wrap it up, Chris Curtis minus minus one eighty five. Marc-Andre Barrio plus 154. Uh, yeah, Chris Curtis by knockout, I agree. I'm going with that also. That's a nice plus 240 if he does get the knockout. Like you said, they're going to be swinging and banging. There's not going to be any grappling. I'd be very no. surprised. 
And I don't think with the power these guys possess, it's going to go to decision. And as you also mentioned, Chris Curtis definitely should not be trying to let it go to decision. And I'm sure he's aware that he's screwed if it does. So, yeah, you, that's another good value. Chris Curtis, TKO, KO, DQ, plus 240. Pretty easy money on that. And, yeah, that's how I'm feeling too. Beautiful, man. Beautiful. I'll, I'll let you take away that uh, championship fight. So I'm a little disappointed on how the odds have closed on this one, but Sean Strickland versus Drickus Duplessis is going to be our main event for the 185-pound belt. So right now, Sean's at a minus 115. Drickus is at a minus 105. I know a few days ago when I checked, Drickus was at like a plus 115, I want to say, somewhere in that neighborhood. But this is going to be a very interesting fight. This is going to be a good one. And this is this is another rare example of the UFC, I think, getting it right in terms of who should be challenging for the belt right now. Uh, Drickus is kind of famous for winning fights that he really has no business winning. He's kind of like the opposite of Johnny Walker, where Johnny Walker loses in such cartoonish and outlandish fashion. Drickus wins in very cartoonish and outlandish fashion. Like his win over Derek Brunson, where he was about to like just get taken down and taken down. And then finally, you know, Brunson just gassed or something crazy 1930s Mickey Mouse happened and Drickus turned the tide and just started wailing on Derek Brunson to the point where, you know, I think it was Herb Dean refing and it was one of those classic Herb Dean mistakes of, oh, I'm, you know, thinking about my grocery list instead of stopping the fight or whatever. And he just let it go on too long. And it was an awkward thing where at the very last second of the round, the towel was thrown by Brunson's corner at the same time as Herb was like half-assed stopping the fight. So there was a lot of confusion over whether he stopped the fight or the corner stopped the fight by throwing in the towel. But thankfully, either way, it was a Drickus finish by strikes. So <clears throat> just cartoonish shit like that happens with Drickus. But he has actually gotten a lot better for all the jokes about his skills. And I really think him getting whatever nose procedure to open up his airways has actually improved his cardio, where he used to gas out all the time. He actually has looked a lot better since getting that procedure done. So maybe that's all it took to improve his cardio was getting his nasal passages cleared up. And I've had a similar thing in my personal life. So, hey, there's probably some merit to it. I can breathe a lot better too, man. But, yeah, it's just interesting because his fight with Robert Whitaker, he was showcasing kind of a new element to his game where we kind of know him as this goofy, awkward striker, excuse me, striker, just kind of rushing in and kind of overwhelming guys with that power that he has to where he was starting to kind of grapple a little bit with Whitaker and use some techniques that were kind of unconventional that not a lot of people are kind of aware of unless you really study grappling. And it was impressive to see him do that to Whitaker because he gave Whitaker one of the hardest fights and finished Whitaker. And that's very tough to do. Even Yo Romero and two fights with Whitaker could not finish him. And Drickus did it in, I think, two rounds, I want to say. And that was just insane. That was kind of a wake-up call for me to start taking him a little bit serious, stop treating him like a meme, and kind of realize this guy's starting to add some more elements to his game than just being an awkward striker. So. I'm kind of liking him in this. And also another thing about Sean Strickland that I've noticed, Sean Strickland kind of does better against guys who are more fundamental. 
Like, I think that's a big reason why he had success against Israel Adesanya is because he is really good at actually defending straight shots and fundamental shots in a way that Drickus Duplissis, at least so far, hasn't kind of incorporated into his game. So it's kind of weird because you think it'd be the opposite, that he'd have more trouble defending against uh, – like sloppy shots and everything, but Sean Strickland's way better against conventional guys who aren't going to throw anything crazy at you. He kind of thrives against those Israel Adesanya fundamental kickboxer types. And I think that's going to be basically a downside to him in this fight because if he keeps it standing, I really feel like Drickus has more power than him. I think Drickus's power is going to make the difference in that other classic debate of, you know, like a Kobe Covington who overwhelms you with 500 shots, but they're 50% shots versus his fights with Kamaru Usman where Usman maybe throws like, I don't know, 100 shots, but it's 80% power or 90% power. Usually the guy with power when it comes to power versus output, if you have a really heavy puncher, the guy with the power can easily turn the course of the fight and get a victory that the guy with the, you know, volume accumulation can't. And if they try to grapple, I don't know too much about Sean Strickland's grappling. It's not really something in his game that we've seen too much of, especially since he's been at middleweight and welterweight. He was challenged a lot more by wrestlers. And I can't really remember how, you know, his takedown defense and everything held up, but he's not going to be the one shooting takedowns. He would be put in the position of defending them. And I haven't really seen enough from Drickus to know who would win in the grappling, but I honestly lean towards Drickus because I think he'll be stronger. I think he'll be bigger, heavier, that type of thing. And just from what he's shown against Whitaker with kind of some of the more advanced concepts he was demonstrating, it kind of gives me the edge to Drickus and grappling also. Five minutes uh, for five rounds, 25 minutes potentially total. I'm not thinking this goes to decision, especially with the bad blood between the guys. This is the main event for the title. They both got something to prove. Both have chips on their shoulders. I'm going to go. I could see this fight either way. This is a very tough fight to predict. Once again, really good matchmaking. Uh, really good uh, props for the UFC on this because it's a very close fight. Rightful next in line, I feel like, to challenge for this title. And it's very, very tough to say this because I, I am a, genuinely a fan of both guys. Sean has made me a fan. I've been a Drickus fan since his debut. But as much as I like both of them and wish they could both win, I got to go with Drickus as the minus 105. And I, I'm i going to go KOTKO. Uh, I just think that's more likely than the sub. Once again, I think Drickus would be the one initiating the grappling exchanges, and he could get the the fight to the map. But I think primarily, I just think Drickus is going to have the power, and I just think that Sean doesn't really do well, as I've mentioned, against those guys who are kind of a little unconventional and a little goofy with their shots and their, their timing and their range, and it's not really textbook kickboxing. So... Like Kamaru Usman's not really a great striker, and I get that it was at a lower weight class, but Usman, every time he touched Sean in that fight, and granted, this was a few years ago, blah, 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 I get it, but like Usman was putting Sean on his ass every time he hit him. And this is at a higher weight class with a way bigger guy and Drickus, way taller, et cetera. I kind of feel like the same thing. Like Usman made the dude like drop down to his ass like a, like a, 
bounce up and down jack in the box or something. And I think Drickus can do the same thing, and I think he probably gets it done in like three rounds. Like Sean's just not going to be able to take that. It's going to be another Alex Pereira thing. Like he really struggles against those guys that just have like knock you on your ass power, and that is exactly what Drickus Duplessis has. Bobby, we're we're pretty close together here, man. So for Drickus, I got. He could quickly change his stance, which I think is going to be a problem for Sean. He likes to stand there and, and punch you in the face. It's hard when you got this shoulder as your, your blocky shoulder, and now you got this shoulder. I think it's going to be harder for him to really locate and get his punches to connect. Wrestling edge, I absolutely give it to Duplice. Uh, Duplice. I absolutely give it to him. I think he looks much better. Not a decision fighter. I don't think this is going to be a decision um, by Drykus by any any means. He, I think he still gets a little gas. Like watching that um, Whitaker fight and some of his other fights, I, I worry with this being a five-round fight, I worry if it goes the distance, um, how he's going to actually end up being. With Sean, I mean, I'm going to go like pretty mega brain here with some of the things I have, so... Feel free to, to pull me back down to earth if you need to. Um, <laughs> Sean Strickland is a street fighter, um, and I think absolutely his style of fight, his gas tank is way, way, way better than Duplessis. I think that oh, yeah. he, he just stands there and he just comes at you forward, forward, punch, 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 forward, forward, or Duplessis. He has so much more movement. He tries to do so much more takedowns and whatnot where Sean's just he's confident and we did see it bite him in the ass against Pereira um yeah he got, when Pereira he got, definitely did he, he absolutely he got him in the chin and he ate every ounce of it went back for seconds because <laughs> the dude was out yeah. cold man um I, I worry about that um Sean Strickland I, I don't know who's all seen a lot of the stuff uh that's he's been doing lately um and knows much about his backstory, but Sean Strickland, I don't think he uh, he's ever had much. Um, always kind of an underdog in life, uh, working his way up. It's different when you get to the top, and I worry that what everything he fought for, if you lose, okay, you drop back down, and you come back up. You know, you can just keep fighting along the way. Now that you're at the top, you have something to lose now, and I just wonder mentally what that's going to do for Sean. Like, is he going to now be nervous and be a little bit more hesitant about maybe opening up instead of just going out there and fighting when he fought Izzy? If he lost, what happens? Nothing. You know, you just lost to the champion. But now you are the champion. Now you have something to worry about in the back of your head, which, once again, might be galaxy brain in me and it might not. What, like, what are your take on that aspect? No, I think there's definitely some merit there. That's another common theme that's kind of played out in the history of combat sports. There's a there's a famous saying. I heard Conor McGregor say it. I think Jack Slack said uh, said it before as well. Basically, it's hard to get up and do road work when you're wearing silk pajamas. You know, <laughs> once you're finally yeah. at that uh, at that stage in your life where you're not, you know, just sleeping in your boxers at 4 a.m. when the alarm goes off, but you got silk pajamas and Egyptian cotton sheets. Are you really so motivated to roll out of bed and go run, you know, go spar, go shadow box, whatever, whatever the case may be. And there definitely has been, you're not the first person. I've actually seen that quite a bit on social media 
uh, but you're the first person to say it from like a uh, neutral standpoint, like legitimately coming at it from like a balanced, rational approach instead of just like screeching about it. Like <laughs> other people I've seen, because a lot of people are saying the same, but they're coming from a disingenuous place just because they're mad. Cause you said the dreaded F word that I can't even say on this podcast <laughs> and you know, some other homophobic things that you've said, whereas you're just stating the code hard facts of the situation and, you know, appreciating it. So, you're, yeah, you're definitely not off base there. There's a lot of people, as far as, like, whether or not I think personally, I think what plays more into it is the fact that, okay, if you lose, you're losing to a guy that really clearly upset you in front of a worldwide audience about some deep childhood trauma that you went through. And this could go one of two ways. It either goes the Leon Edwards, Kobe, Kobe uh, Covington route. We just say we just saw play out. Yeah. Where, you know, these horrible things were said about your deceased father, but and, and credit to him. He didn't, you know, that's what Kobe wanted. He wanted Leon to, you know, game plan like an idiot, you know, come out there yeah. and make mistakes, you know, fight emotionally. So kudos to, to Leon for not falling for that type thing. But by the same token, it's kind of ironic that, you know, something that that visceral and venomous was said to you and you're not coming out with any type of uh, urgency, I guess you could say. Right. So it's either going to go that route or it's going to be the biggest mistake Drickus made and he's going to pay for it and answer for it. So, you know, I kind of think that's what's going to come into play is, you know, yeah, there is a lot more to lose. You're definitely right. But it's also the fact that there's a lot more to lose to the guy that has really embarrassed you and, like, it's been the talk of the media and the fans and et cetera, this whole entire time it's been all anybody's talked about is just what was said between you two at that press conference. And even though they seem to have personally made amends in the embedded episodes leading up to it and whatnot, I still wonder how much of that's going to really be put to bed until uh, they have the opportunity to fight each other. And uh, one other quick thing before I forget, I do remember now seeing a lot of uh, Drickus's grappling on display against Darren Till. And granted, it's Darren Till who's not the best example of takedown defense, but it was still pretty impressive that Drickus was able to do so many takedowns and not get discouraged if, you know, one was defended or whatever and kind of have the gas tank to so heavily approach a grappling heavy uh, game plan like that against Darren Till. But, yeah, you're pretty much spot on. If this goes the distance, it is 100% going Sean Strickland. And I, I am also very concerned about Drickus's gas tank, even <laughs> with the nasal surgery and everything. But, man, uh, it just really makes me think that if, as long as he can go out there and capitalize on the momentum like Pereira did and like Usman did and everything, Sean just really struggles against those guys with that power. So as long as he can go out there and try to make it a quick night without, you know, obviously blowing his load type thing, Sean does not have the best chin with guys, like I said, that have that power that just really changes your world. He's not the best at standing up to it. and He does have his hands down quite a bit. Yes, he does. So, yeah, and his head movement isn't the best to kind of account for that. Like, you know, he's he's pretty good at using his shoulders and that little – Philly shell iCarly boxing thing to kind of, you know, absorb some of the strikes coming his way, but he just kind of serves up the chin on the platter still, I feel like. I agree, dude. I agree. And um, another thing, too, um, I put it on Twitter, 
and I want to get your reaction on here as well. Um, like you said, uh, Sean Strickland is probably one of the most polarizing champions, if not the most polarizing champion that the UFC's ever had. Um, using the spicy F word um, at the press conference. Um, yeah. It, it makes you wonder the UFC, obviously it, it's geared towards a certain type of uh, a person, geared towards guys like us, but um, right. it's it's definitely not as as PC as a lot of like, you know, like the NFL and NBA and all these other type of uh, sports. What do you think, like, is the UFC, are they hoping that, that Duplessis gets the knockout here? Like, who do you think the UFC wants to win? Do you think they have a problem with Sean? No, I don't think the UFC does. Thankfully, okay. uh, the UFC is an organization that I actually applaud for. And people whine and they complain when it's when it's right-wing, conservative, whatever you want to call it. I'm not going to try to get too political with my own personal opinions. Everybody's got them. They're just like buttholes. Everybody's got them, da-da-da-da. But, like, what I'm getting at is, like, it's not just Sean Strickland. The UFC yeah. will let you say or do whatever you want. The UFC doesn't really police your political opinions, your personal statements, et cetera, et cetera. Even though Dana White, as the head of the organization and kind of the figurehead, is seen as like a Trump supporter and things of that nature, he still doesn't care about like people who have other, you know, contrary opinions. He's not going to censor somebody as long as they're not going over the top. Like another thing that just drives me insane is everybody's freaking out about Sean Strickland dropping the spicy F word. We need to start calling it that. I like that. The spicy F word. <laughs> And uh, everybody's whining and complaining about this. I've seen people dead serious say it's an act of violence and inciting violence and everything else. And it's like, are we seriously having this conversation in a sport where I saw Bryce Mitchell have seizures, right. like not even three, four weeks ago or whatever. Bryce Mitchell was convulsing on my TV in front of me and we got people cheering for that. Like, where were you? cheer like were you one of those people cheering for bryce mitchell getting knocked out because he's a goofy guy who thinks the world's flat like that i mean i get it's ignorant but that's such a stupid thing to wish somebody life-changing damage and you know to take that type of trauma on national tv in front of people just for being like a flat earther as ignorant as it is or whatever whatever he's not harming anybody by that just like sean strickland dry, dropping the spicy f word like okay like who cares like people in that community call themselves that also i thought that was one of the things they wanted to be called i don't i don't get in a sport where you can see people potentially die in front of you and take life-altering damage i just think it's kind of funny that you know saying spicy words is kind of the hill so many people want to die on because at the end of the day he's saying his opinion and by you letting his opinion over something as tame as a, as an insult like that control so much of your own life. Are you really letting him win? I know this sounds a little bit philosophical at the end of the episode, <laughs> but you know, just having a nice little armchair discussion here yeah. with you and the viewers, it's like, you know, kind of pick your battles. It kind of just seems dumb that we're, that we're having to have this conversation about like how terrible of a person he is for saying this when, I mean, that's kind of his right, and you have the right to dis to disagree with it. And it's like, 
what's really being done here. You know, it's just because if it was anybody else saying some other words that are kind of banned by society, it all depends on what, what demographic you're targeting. Like some things you can say about some groups you can't say about others. And once again, not trying to get too political, but just think about the words that society and uh, social media lets you say and uh, what they don't let you say. Let's, let's just say that. Think about the words you're allowed to use and the words you're not allowed to use and kind of people's reactions to that. And ask yourself, when people get all bent out of shape about somebody using an insult like that, would they keep that same energy for every insult for any and all groups? You know what I mean? Because yeah. I really feel like a lot of people... Selective outrage. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you. That that perfectly surmises kind of my rambling. Yeah. Selective outrage. You, you, you pick and choose the groups. If mm -hmm. it was another group, you wouldn't even care. So are you doing this because you genuinely care or are you doing it just to get brownie points? Yeah, that's true. That's true, man. Yeah, it's... Sean Strickland, and I feel like this whole, especially with social media right now and everywhere, very hot topic. Very hot yeah. topic right now. Um, I wanted to run this by you too real quick um, uh, from a sports betting um, perspective. So taking – we haven't talked about live betting yet, but taking duplicy, um, I, I, I'm going to go by KO also. Right. So okay. that is plus 215. You could do by KO or sub if you wanted to be safe. Once again, I would not do decision for duplicy. It's plus no. 140 um, if you wanted to be safe with it. What do you think about betting one of those, throwing a nice little chunk on it, and then if it goes to the end of the third into the fourth, live betting – because at that point, it'll probably be duplicy ahead on the scorecards. At that point, getting plus value on a Sean Strickland KO or dis or decision. That wouldn't be bad because I kind of disagree with like it going into the fourth that duplicy would be up. If it's going into the fourth, I feel like that's kind of selling bad news for duplicy. You think so? And if it's making it to the fourth. Yeah, if it's making it, if it's closing in on the fourth and the fourth starts, I think as time goes on, it's it's not on the side of Duplessy, and I would be saying it's probably only making it to the fourth, basically because Sean is allowing it to make it to the fourth. So you would live bet a sh just a straight up Sean KO at that point. If I'd probably go, I'd probably go by decision. Okay. I, 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 well, I don't know because now that I think about it, I think about like an Abus Magomedov or whatever his name was situation where Sean finally got the TKO because he was so gassed. Abus was so gassed that he was able to get it, kind of wearing him down with the volume, like I was saying earlier. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I wouldn't hate if it goes into the fourth at that point. I, I could see, once again, if it's allowed to go to that point it probably would be because Strickland is, is wearing down Duplessis and he'd probably be close to getting like at least a TKO from the volume. Right. Right. So you don't think Duplessis would go in the fourth up like two to one? No, you no, I really don't. Going in one to two at best. Yeah. At best. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think his best shot at victory is either getting like a round one KO or like a round two 
Three starting to get a little bit dicey, but I'm trying to tell myself maybe if it gets to three, it's because he's grappling. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of, you know, trying to get up on points in that regard. But heading into the fourth, if he's not secure to finish, I'm pretty sure – I think he's never went to decision at all in his UFC career. I think every fight's been a finish. So at that point, if he's heading into the fourth with my concerns around his gas tank, right? granted I think it is better, but still I'm worried. I, I'm not giving him in the edge in the distance department. Yeah, 100% agree, man. All right, Bobby, so what is your haymaker for this week? This week, I'm going to go with Chris Curtis by KO, TKO, or DQ at plus 240. I feel like that's the perfect balance of realistic chance of actually happening and also good value for the money that you put onto it. So that's a pretty good bet this week in my eyes to get you a pretty good return on your investment at plus 240. That's the same side I'm on, man. I love it. you have anything else before we get out of here? Oh, one last thing about the Hodu. I think the UFC wants – Duplessis to win i think they don't care like they don't care one way or another they're fine with either guy but i mean i will say that if Duplessis does win that does actually put them in a good spot financially just for the simple fact he'd be the first south african champion in history of the ufc and they've been looking to expand into that africa market for a long time now and surprisingly they didn't really do it when they had the best opportunity with uzman and ganu and Adesanya being all champions of their division at the same time. So they missed out on that opportunity, but it would definitely set up a big Africa card with African champ versus African champ when Israel Adesanya comes back mm-hmm. with all the publicity that was set up between those two beforehand with the yeah. cracker comments and everything. <laughs> so it definitely would be nice for them in that regard to finally hopefully break into the Africa market and have a, uh, one of their first pay-per-views on the African continent, Adesanya versus Duplessis for the middleweight title again. And that's a great point, Bobby. Uh, thank you guys for watching. If you guys watched this episode, I hope that we won you guys some money this week. If you followed our picks on any of the other episodes you did. So we think that you're going to be pretty, uh, pretty well off in this one too, especially because we went with a couple underdogs this week that are pretty good plus odds. So thank you guys for watching. Make sure you guys subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on all socials, and we'll see you guys in the next episode. Peace guys. Peace. Thank you. You better start listening to the better and green podcast. You will not regret it. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And Hey, I'm Dean Blandino. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to better and green. Eh? To better and green hey listen in and cash out that's what it's all about come on let's make cash now we always on spot and we cover old spot from the bottom to the top hey shout out to Ethan shout out to Wyatt shout out to Ben welcome welcome to our podcast better win green <laughs>